it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 559 for August 13th, 2018, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, we have two guests on the show, which is unusual in and of itself. We have Ray Robertson and Sal Segoyan. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. It's great to be here, Allison. Thank you, Allison. It's great to be here, too. <laughs> well, introducing these two folks to you is a little bit pro- problematic. I can either blather on for about an hour about each one of them or be ludicrously brief. So I'm going to try to go with brief. Uh, Ray Robertson is an expert instructor of AppleScript uh, who actually inspired me to start learning how to do it. And I did some AppleScript just last week because of Ray. And uh, you may have heard of Sal Segoyan before. He's pretty much responsible for most of the automation we know and love on macOS. And he's now taking it to the next level with his work at the Omni Group. Uh, Ray and Sal have put together a fabulous three-day course on automation that we are going to talk about. But first, I'd like to pick their brains for a little bit before we jump into that. Because the obvious first question to Sal is, what was it like attending the Berkeley School of Music? (laughs) Speaking of automation, what was it like to go to Berkeley? Uh, It was quite interesting. It was um, a very amazing place, very creative. I got there at the end of a particular era of the school. The school has undergone over the years many different uh, iterations of what it does. When it was first created by Lee Burke, it was a place for established arrangers to go to get new ideas, you know, hmm. and people like Lindsay Jones and, and really advanced people went there. I got there in 74, and I was like one of the last people through the instrumental performance program where my instead of taking book classes, I did uh, ear training, harmonic studies, and hands-on playing in different idioms. I, uh, for example, improvisation in the swing idiom, uh, improvisation in the Dixieland idiom, and I played in the Basie ensemble that had the original Count Basie charts. Oh, wow. So it was a very interesting experience. It was quite crazy, but inspiring. <laughs> and I went there for four years. Uh, some of the people that were around in those times were like Kevin Eubanks, Wayne Pedzawater, Quinnis Johnson, uh, Ralph Moore, a lot of people that went on to The Tonight Show and, and other uh, aspects of the music business. So it, it was quite fun. So there, are, there is a particular reason I have uh, Berkeley as a uh, soft spot, spot in my heart is my brother just retired uh, from being the director of music synthesis at the Berkeley School of Music. <laughs> all right, all right. They had uh, an incredible band. They had no facilities, no swimming pool, no sports, <laughs> nothing else. But we had a marching band that never left the room, and they just cooked. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Well, I want to uh, get into something a little bit personal. How did the two of you meet and gang up together to start working on automation? What brought you guys together? Maybe Ray has a starting point on that. Well, I first met Sal, it was probably 1997, and I, I knew his name well. He was already very active in the community, um, and I met him before he joined Apple, probably at a Seabold Expo, um, and uh, I talked with him just briefly at that time. I knew his name well, and then a few months later, we heard a crazy story that Sal had taken a job with Apple, which was then a sinking ship. 
you know? So what in the world is Sal doing? Um, But it was a brilliant move. Um, And just to give you a little history there, at that particular convention, Apple was almost nowhere. They had one presentation at a lunch session in the corner of the expo hall. Oh, right next to the bathrooms? (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. And then Sal joined them. And then the next year, I just happened to go into AppleScript full-time, quitting my daytime job and going on my own. And I walk into Moscone, and there are these huge AppleScript booths right up front uh-huh. with big banners that said, the power of AppleScript, and all talking about automation. And there was Sal standing out front. It was a wonderful transformation. Now, yes, some other people who joined Apple at that time had something to do with that transformation. <laughs> but for the Apple script world, it was an amazing, amazing time to see it get the attention which it deserves and still deserves. Right, right. Okay. So one of the things I've noticed with both of you, and, and we talked about this a little bit at the Command D conference last year, but you seem to have the innate desire to automate. Like you see something that you're doing that's tedious and, and your your whole brain says, I have to make sure I only ever do this once or maybe twice at the most. Uh, Sal, do you think that's something that's either in us, we're born with it, or is it like there's a switch a bit that's flipped or it's not flipped? Or is that something, can you teach people to want to do that? Wow, that's a a great insight. I I think that automation is a fundamental human uh, concept. We always look for ways to automate stuff. I mean, throughout our history as beings, you know, when we farm, we look for a way to make it better. We, you know, developed a plow. Uh, when we developed manufacturing, we look for a way to automate certain processes. As humans, we always are looking for ways to make things easier, uh, to produce a consistent output of what we do and to scale what we want to do. And automation is the thing that provides those abilities. And it really fits in with the human mind. I think that's a a great insight on your part there, that it is a human thing and it's a natural experience. So why should it be different on the computer? Just because the computer's an electric device doesn't mean that our human nature changes. Our human nature to explore, create, and automate stays the same. And there's so many great tools on the computer that you can use to further those Uh, goals. And I think that automation fits in really great with the Mac and iOS devices and the future of the platforms. That you make a really good point there that I like is if I, I'm thinking about people who maybe don't think about automating when it gets to the computer, they might think of a faster, more efficient way to make their bed, but they don't think about doing it on the Mac. You see them doing the same thing over and over again. But if you uh, if you bring it down to the fundamental human nature, like you say, farming is a great example that that's something completely different abstraction. And yet it is that same human nature. But maybe what we need to do is just to reveal those tools to people and show them how that that can help them and maybe find the easy building steps to get there that 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 allows you to get to your own human nature that's that's actually already there. You know, that's what I one of the things I really liked about your session at Command D was it was from such a human practical experience uh, viewpoint. 
it, you looked at things without, you know, how do I do things without writing code? Mm-hmm. How do I automate without writing code? So you took it down to a very base level of, of need and functionality. And your whole talk was on how you can do incredible stuff on the computer and not have to write a script or write any Objective-C or Swift or whatever, that there are these tools that are available to help you automate. And that is part of the automation story. The automation story is not just one particular aspect. You know, Apple has a great concept, I believe, with the whole idea of everybody can code. But I would suggest that there's also an intermediate level in there of everyone can automate. Everybody can learn how to use the computer and automate and put pieces together to tell their story, to make the kind of tools that they want to make that serve their needs. And AppleScript is just one of those stories. It's an incredible tool with a lot of depth, a lot of control, and it's approachable and learnable by just anybody that's motivated to sit down and, you know, roll up their sleeves and sit there for a couple hours and learn something. Yeah, it's you, a great tool. Yeah. You know, Ray, when, when we talked a lot at Command-D, um, I, I was intrigued be- with learning AppleScript because I found that Automator was fabulous because for me, I was able to just grab little blocks. Like one of my favorite automations is I type, uh, I type live show and all of these applications open and then windows all move to where I want them. Well, that's all just done with automator. That is literally like 25 little drag and drop blocks that just go launch this, launch this, launch this. Um, but what I found was once I got excited about being able to do that, I would hit a wall where it's like, oh, I need to know how to this. I can't do this one thing. And that's kind of where, where AppleScript starts to come in and, and insidiously sneak into you. Is that right, Ray? That's right. Once you're exposed to the power of automation, you want to do more. And to kind of add what to what Sal said, one of the things that I like to tell my students is AppleScript is mainly limited by your imagination. <laughs> and so I teach people with creative backgrounds. And oftentimes... They can go ahead and use an application which is familiar to them, but in a way that they hadn't thought of. And AppleScript can help with that automation. But you're right. Um, Automator is a great building block to AppleScript itself to wanting to do more. And because of its friendly uh, English-like syntax, it has a great appeal to busy people. Busy people who may only get to write code, say, once or twice a month. And then they have to go away to their deadline job and meet the latest deadline. And then they can come back a month later and say, oh, I'm looking at this code and I still understand it. (laughs) Because it's so human readable, right? Right. It's human readable. And that may not be as appealing to traditional programmers who like a more structured syntax. But for a busy person in a production environment looking to automate as much work as possible it is a great technology. Now, one of the other things I learned in in listening in your class, um, so to the audience, uh, Ray did a one-day scripting boot camp the day before uh, the Command D conference. And so I learned a bunch from him then. And one of the biggest revelations to me is my my friend Dorothy is a, is a computer programmer. And uh, she's the, the one I had the picture of in my presentation where I show her holding Sal's AppleScript 123 book. Because my solution to learning AppleScript was to buy her that book 
so that she would write all my Apple scripts for me. <laughs> and I, I got this sense that she was just kind of a hack programmer because all she would do is figure out something she wanted to do, go out on the internet, find some scripts, cobble them together, change things, and have it work. I thought, well, you didn't write any code on your own. And then I go to your class, and that's exactly what you taught. It's like one of the greatest things about Apple script. It's 25 years old this year, and that means everything's probably been solved practically. You know, you, you can find the pieces to rebuild. It's almost like all the Lego pieces are out there. You just have to put them together now. That's right. And I, I think every programmer, except for maybe the really, truly brilliant ones, will search for code to see if something has already been developed or to give them some insight in how code can be used and how an application can be automated. Well, maybe those are the truly mean, brilliant ones, though, that don't rewrite code that they could have gotten from somebody else, right? <laughs> it could be. It could be. I just know I'm, I'm a fairly simple person that way, and I've, I tell my students to um, beg, borrow, and borrow. <laughs> so by beg, be sure to ask questions, which I encourage you to do and you've done, and borrow by looking for existing code that can be used to further your, refine your skills. Now we teach a lot of basics. It's so important to learn how to read a dictionary in AppleScript. So that really helps. It's so important to understand the most basic syntax in AppleScript. But when you're dealing with AppleScript, some people find it challenging because they might be dealing with 12 different applications. Mm. And you have that friendly syntax and the similar implementation, but there are differences from application to application. So that's where search skills come in handy, uh, okay. just as they do with for any programmer. And I will add to that, besides AppleScript having been around so long, it's a great search term. It's a unique search term. <laughs> so if I'm looking at, let's say, Photoshop automation, if I search for AppleScript Photoshop, Yes, I'm going to be able to find some help. Yeah, now, we also that's one of my cover. biggest pet peeves with Apple's new naming conventions. You have to search mail, photos. You know, now it's going to be books. Uh, come on, you guys are killing me. It's it works really well. Like the day after a new version comes out or something, where the search terms are all at the top, but ten minutes later, you can't find anything. Right. <laughs> that's very true. But one of the things we will do at the course is we share resources. And we have lots of sample scripts for the applications that we cover, but we also provide links to resources so you'll be able to find information specific to that application when it's available. And then I think one of the unique um, aspects of the courses that I've always taught is we have a private mailing list of all alumni of the courses. So you can come onto that mailing list and ask questions and get help from people who've run into similar issues. Okay. It doesn't throw you out into the world of a, you know, a entirely public mailing list where you get some really bright geniuses who are great and provide great help, but may not communicate in the best way. Um, <laughs> I try to make it a friendlier environment for the beginner to um, understand how to work with the basics of AppleScript and where you can find more help. Oh, great, great. Hey, so let me let me change uh, horses a little bit here. 
what what is what should we be excited about with Siri shortcuts that's coming out? Uh, I mean, every time I hear somebody talk about uh, using workflow and that's moving into Siri shortcuts, every time I ask them, so why is this life changing? Every single person says you can make an action that sends a text message to tell somebody you're on their way home. They always give me the exact same answer. And I'm assuming there's going to be a lot more to be excited about than that. Uh, there certainly is, and I'm very excited about the fact that that technology is coming out on iOS. Let me make uh, one comment about what we just talked about. Uh, on many of my websites, like iWorkAutomation.com, I created those sites for others to come to and get short example scripts about how to script the iWork suite of applications. But to tell you honestly, Many times I put those examples up there for me so that I can go back later on and go, oh, yeah, how did I do that? Right. Here's the example. And then I extract. I do that all the time. I, go I, I Google for an answer and it's one of my own blog posts. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Exactly correct. So uh, back to uh, Siri Shortcuts. So Siri Shortcuts is a, uh, a many steps uh, taking automation to a new level um, and especially bringing it to iOS. You're very familiar with the Workflows app that was released and sold very well on the uh, App Store on iOS. And it got its power based upon the concepts that were defined by Automator on the Mac, where you create automation recipes and each step of the recipe is called an action, and data or in, uh, information is passed through the chain of actions. For example, you would say, cut the carrots, cut the celery, cut the onions, mix them together, heat, and then serve. That would be an automation recipe. Okay. And on, <clears throat> on Automator, that might be, you know, get the text that's selected in the front document, then check the text for this, translate to that, add that to an email, put make it part of something else, and then send it. So you create this concept of I'm going to make a tool that, that addresses a certain specific set of actions that I want to happen. And now that Apple has purchased the Workflows app and brought that team on board at Apple, we're starting to see the fruits of that because they're integrating it with Siri. And that makes a lot of sense in, in for multiple reasons. The first is it gives it a way for people to relate to it in a understandable way. So a person can create this Siri shortcut or use a suggested Siri shortcut and give it their own terminology. Whatever phrase they like yeah. becomes the key to using that tool. So it becomes approachable. The, the term Siri shortcuts is actually multiple technologies under one word. The first thing that it does is it allows uh, application developers to expose the functionality of their applications to the operating system. So for example, if I have an app and, and Allison's using it and I see that you know she keeps going to this certain part of the app all the time, I can publish to the operating system or provide to the operating system a shortcut for that. Mm 
and it will go into the queue so that you can use that shortcut. And Siri, if it sees that you're doing something repetitively, can suggest that to you. It can say, Allison, I see that you're going to this page in this app quite a bit. Would you like me to make a shortcut for you for that? And then you say yes. And what happens is, is that that little shortcut that was published by the application to the operating system gets linked to whatever phrase you want to say. And that's one aspect of Siri shortcuts. The other aspect is that for those that like getting in and creating things themselves using that flow mechanism, the workflow app is still there. It's now called Siri Shortcuts 2. And all the abilities of the workflows app so that you can create your own chain of actions and things becomes part of Siri Shortcuts 2. So you can make your own custom actions and workflows as well. So you have not only the operating system suggesting them, but you can create them. And all of this is now on an operating system, iOS, that we weren't really traditionally thinking of as using automation. But this is a great way to get that initial functionality out to the public and have them start using it. And I see that it's really going to make the platform attractive, especially to uh, business and education markets. I think you'll see increased sales of Apple devices because of the automation. So um, one thing I've never been quite clear on, Siri shortcuts, is it the same thing on the Mac and on iOS? Or are they two different things or does it only exist on one? It uh, Siri shortcuts exists on iOS. Okay. On only the on Mac, it. on the Mac, you don't have the ability for the applications to suggest to the system uh, to suggest you a shortcut. That's not there. What the Mac has that iOS doesn't have is like with Apple Script, where the applications publish through a scripting dictionary, all of the granular functionality that they have, all of the different objects, like here's my document, here's my slide, here's the text and the title, here's an image, and all of those objects having properties is a really granular way to expose the functionality of the application. That type of automation doesn't exist on iOS, like in Siri shortcuts. Uh, you mean on so macOS? I mean, on the granular uh, automation doesn't exist on iOS like it does on macOS. Okay. Okay. Siri shortcuts is more, think of it more like Automator. So that okay. Automator style of, of functionality is over on iOS now. So it's an, a, a big step for Apple to do that. And I think there's going to be a lot of rewards from that. And I'm very excited about it. So at the risk of sounding skeptical, um, and I'm not naturally a skeptical person, but the limitations of uh, AppleScript can be whether the application does expose its library in order to be able to, to hook into it to do things, right? The same thing could happen with, with Siri shortcuts. Yeah, yes, uh, it's one of those weird answers that's yes and no. Uh, if an application isn't scriptable, 
and it hasn't exposed its functionality to outside use, right. that it's only driven by its own UI, then it becomes harder to use that app. But one of the advantages of AppleScript is that quite often you can talk to the same parts of the operating system that the app uses. For example, if the app it, uh, works with images and it's not scriptable, there are many ways in AppleScript to to work with the image file itself rather than go through the app. Oh, I see. Also, yeah, also Apple, AppleScript has access to the accessibility frameworks. So mm-hmm. it can push the buttons and select the menus and mimic the user in a physical way so that if the app, if you need to go into the app and you select this menu and then you do this button, that can be also be scripted through what is called UI scripting on the Mac as well. On iOS, like you said, uh, you are pretty limited if you're going to use an app as to whether it has exposed stuff. But what you're seeing with Siri Shortcuts and the Workflows app is that they're starting to add in a lot of that type of basic functionality like text and translate and image manipulation and things like that into their core library of the application. So it's an initial start. I think it's going to lead to a lot more productivity and fun, just <laughs> downright fun on using the devices. I do. I did find my first workflow that I found really useful was when you take screenshots with an iPhone 10. it's real long and skinny and stupid looking. And uh, it would look better if it had the iPhone frame around it. And somebody wrote a workflow that puts the iPhone frame around it. And all of a sudden, my screenshots look so much better. So I was very excited. It was like you said, it was fun. It wasn't necessary, but it was definitely fun. Would you put this in the category of machine learning? Or do you see other things going on in machine learning in terms of, of automation? Um. It's more like watching, uh, uh, and it uses a framework called NS User Activity, which is, it watches what you're doing. So in a way, it is machine learning. Uh, quite often, machine learning is more advanced, where it's like image analysis and data analysis and very high-level, powerful mainframe stuff. But it is the computer trying to understand what you do and respond to it. So there is some level of intelligence like that. But I mean, as Ray can tell you, the wonderful thing about AppleScript is is you can put a lot of intelligence in your scripts because AppleScript is so foundational, it can understand the environment that you're in. It knows what applications in the foreground. It knows what application is available. It knows where your documents are and it can respond to conditions and do things Uh, based upon how the current system is set up. So you have the option to build in intelligence into your scripts. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. Um, Another question I had, and I don't know which one of you would rather answer this, but can you talk to the relevance of the Mac versus iOS in automation? I mean, is one of them, it seems to be these kids today, they're all about the, uh, the, the mobile devices, right? I don't, I'll jump in once more. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a versus. It's it's an and situation and not okay. an or situation. Uh, I see it, you know, I've been working with the Omni Group on developing a cross-platform scripting solution 
for their products, for their applications. So it's based on JavaScript. You write a script for Omni Automation on Omni Graffle on iOS, and the exact same script runs the same way on macOS. So I don't think it, it's so much either or. You use the device that you have. It's how can I automate what I have, what I'm using? Naturally, as uh, somebody that's been in the automation in business for quite a while, I love the Mac because it's so versatile. It's not just a single item at, at a time on the screen or just split screen or whatever uh, the concept of multitasking is on iOS. It's truly independent. I can talk to an application in the background with a script while I'm working on an application in the foreground. And that's takes a special type of operating system. Also, the richness of what's available and the freedom that I have on the Mac is just unparalleled. So from a production standpoint, I think the Mac will remain and always be a premier platform for automation. I, I hope you're. I hope you're right on that. I, I was afraid that it's just because I'm old that I feel that way. Because I, I, I remember I was at a. I think it was at CES, and this woman was in the press room, and she had a laptop open in front of her, and she was using her phone to correspond with somebody. And I'm thinking, you got a keyboard and a big screen right there. Why would you do that? But it was not even in the front of her mind. I mean, maybe one was personal, one was work. I don't know. But it really stuck out to me as like I would never choose my iPhone over my Mac if I had the Mac right in front of me, you know? So I really hope that it does continue to be uh, considered, like you say, the, the, the premier device to do things in automation. Cause that's where I'm really comfortable. What do you think, Ray? I don't think it's a matter of comfort. I think it's a really a matter of where you can get the work done the best way and the productivity that you need to have in doing that work. And so while a lot of great things can, can be done on iOS devices, and I'm sure that will continue to improve, most of us or many of us, regardless of age, are in work environments where we need to use the macOS to get a lot of things done at once. Yeah. And since That's Apple's what it feels like is, to me. <laughs> it does to me, too. It does to me, too. So most of my work is done on macOS and AppleScript glues together many different applications. And as you mentioned, there are some which do not support AppleScript, but in those cases, we have alternate methods. And also, we can drive the Unix shell from, from AppleScript. So you right. can get a lot done that way um, through AppleScript while talking to these other applications and building a single workflow to get your daily work done. You'd be proud of me. Just last week, I did a uh, I did a little Bash shell script inside Automator. I did one one that was Apple script and one was a Bash shell, and I was all patting my little head, pumpkin head. It, it's funny. I, f I forget that I could do those things, and uh, because I knew I was going to be talking to you guys, I was like, "Yeah, why am I doing that by hand every single week? Why am I still?" It, and it was something that I've done. You know, f well, I'm over 600 shows on uh, on one of my podcasts, and I've done it every single week. So those things have been fixed, but I'm still going to look for other. Uh, I do want to switch gears and start talking about the uh, the upcoming class. But before I do, I did promise my friend Dorothy I would ask Sal, what's the weirdest programming uh, language you've used? <laughs> uh, and you get well, to define weird, I, I guess. <laughs> you know, I, I, 
I'm like Ray. I'm very pragmatic. I, I use what I have to use to get the job done. And so I've learned different programming languages over the years and then immediately forgot them. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, Nothing comes for me, me, for me, learning JavaScript was a very weird experience because I came into automation through Apple script and I'm used to the English like syntax and the relaxed, uh, forgiving feel of Apple script. And, you know, there's multiple ways you can say uh, to say uh, a statement to get something done in Apple script, whereas other languages are very strict and how they're written and how they're what their syntax is. So for me, something as common as JavaScript took me quite a while to get around to understanding and being comfortable with enough to actually be productive. I find also when I'm dealing with Swift, uh, Swift can be very challenging. Uh, if you're especially if you're used to a language like Apple Script where you don't declare variables, you just put do things on the fly and it all seems to work. With Swift, they put all of the pain up front. So you can't actually write the line of code until, unless you have it right. It won't, it won't compile. In AppleScript, you can write stuff that doesn't work correctly. <laughs> But it'll do something. <laughs> but and then you work on it once you've written it. With Swift, they make you you have to sit there with that one line until you figure it out what it is they're trying to tell you needs to be there. Oh, wait a minute. I have to put an exclamation part point after the word. What? Uh, as a coercion. What? You know, so there's a lot of different things. The main thing is, is just to keep on learning. Don't be afraid to open up your head and pour something new in there <laughs> and stretch it a little bit. You know, get the mental exercise of learning languages. And hopefully by when you take AppleScript classes with uh, Ray and myself, you'll find that the relaxedness of AppleScript is a real attractive thing. <laughs> well, I think that's a... Uh... I think that's very important, and I just wanted to mention that um, I actually got into Objective-C in the first year of the iPad, and I wrote an iPad app, um, and it was a struggle, but I got it done, and the incentive to know that language was strong, but it was a lifestyle choice. I decided that I did not want to live in Xcode. <laughs> I wanted to live... I wanted to choose to live in an environment that I could fully understand and continue to explore and do other things in life while still building upon that skill. Um, and that's where AppleScript has really helped me. And one of the, the things I'm excited about in the class is we will be, well, I will be using Script Debugger throughout, which is an AppleScript development environment that now has a free version. So for the oh, first yeah. time, I'm free to show debugger from the very beginning, which is a great aid for beginning scriptures because you can step through a script line by line and see what happens. Oh, that's fantastic. Cause I remember during the, uh, during the boot camp that when you started using that debugger, I had to decide right then, was I going to spend a hundred dollars on an app that I wasn't sure I was really going to ever do this. I wanted, you know, I, I sort of wanted to be sold on it first before I did that. So that's great to know they have a, uh, a free version that'll do some of it. That's excellent. 
Right. They have a light free version now, and then the upgrade is not expensive. And we usually make a discount code available at the class. Oh, very cool. Um, I did want to tell Sal one more thing before we go fully. We are going to go into the scripting bootcamp thing. Um, what you said about opening your brain up and not being afraid to learn something new. Uh, we've had frequently on the show uh, on, on Chit Chat Across the Pond, a woman named Dr. Marianne Gary, who's a professor out of New Zealand in uh, memory. And uh, she had me read a book that that explained that one of the ways you can uh, actually stave off memory impairment in, in later life has been clinically proven is to do something that's really hard for you and to master it. So not just I'm going to pick up the guitar and learn to play three chords, but actually learn to play the guitar. So uh, as a result of that, that um, lesson from her, Bart Bouchatz out of Ireland has been teaching a class. Uh, I've got another uh, show that's called uh, Programming by Stealth. And Bart is, taught us HTML and then CSS and then JavaScript. Now he's coming back and doing Bootstrap. And he's now we're just to the point where he's bringing jQuery in and going to start folding, uh, folding JavaScript back into it. And it's really, really, really hard for me. And I, every time I want to give up and I'm hitting my head on the table, I hear Dr. Gary saying, no, it's supposed to be hard. That's good for you. Keep going. So we're uh, 60 episodes into that, an audio podcast to learn to program, which is interesting in and of itself. Right. So he You're did- one of the most tenacious people I've ever met. And, <laughs> you know, if I was a wall of rock, I would hate if you were standing before me. <laughs> Get out of my way. <laughs> the destiny is going to happen. You, you know. It's a matter of uh, it's a matter of being afraid. A lot of people are afraid to to take on a challenge because they're afraid that they might not be able to do it. And the way you learn things is just go ahead and try it. If it doesn't work, then try this. And then, and fortunately, there are people like Ray, and there's plenty of materials out there to give you a leg up. It's like you said, you go searching for an example, you look at what they're doing, and you kind of go, oh, okay. With AppleScript, I can pretty much see what they're doing because it says what they're doing. Yeah. And you go, oh, I, Tell I application get this. Okay. Two. And you try it and maybe something doesn't work. And then you fix this and then it works. It's worth the effort. And I've always thought about life as, you know, when you stop wanting to learn, then you're just marking time. You know, you, be, you join God's waiting room. <laughs> I don't want to be in the waiting room. <laughs> I want to still be alive, right? Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Well, let's switch uh, gears. The, the class we've been kind of obliquely referring to is called the Down Home Scripting Boot Camp, and it's going to be October 15th to 17th. In uh, It's going to be outside of Atlanta in a little town where Ray lives, and uh, that's where the down home part comes from. And uh, why don't you guys talk, uh, Ray, tell us, who is this uh, Who is this class for? Well, it's for beginning scripters, but it's also for intermediate. And then at these events, sometimes we get advanced scripters coming back for a refresh or to find the latest technology or to just simply gather in community with other scripters. So it's really open to everyone. But I love to teach beginners. Mm-hmm. And over time, I've... Uh, develop more ways that I feel comfortable make, helping them to feel comfortable. Um, you know, an example might be AppleScript might have five or six different types of repeat statements. I basically teach one because mm. that's what you're going to use most of the time. 
And I really have you to thank for this course, Allison, because, well, first of all, I have to remind you that at uh, the one day script team boot camp, you did the most valuable thing that anybody could ever do for an instructor. You gave me a running gag. And a running gag is important to any class. So that was very important with those squirrely brackets, which I will still use at the next course. So instead of squiggly, they're always squirrely now. That's right. Instead of squiggly, they're squirrely. That will be that that way for now and forevermore. Um, I'm glad to have made that important technical contribution to you, Ray. Thank you. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, and the other thing is, you know, with a single day class, you have to move pretty quickly. And so it was all lecture based to provide as much information as I could. Um, but with the addition of the sample scripts and many other things, uh, but it did run very quickly. And you mentioned how students do like to follow along and type as you watch. Right. Well, I've, I've been to lab based classes and the the problem with an entirely lab-based class is it does not impart enough information in the amount of time given. A lecture-based class can impart too much information. <laughs> and so not as much we, sticks. Right. So we're kind of doing a mixed approach, a hybrid approach of that, where we will pause at points and give an exercise for the students to go through and to potentially have Sal and I come around and help you along and have other students help each other. So that will give the students a break. It'll give us a little bit of a break to interact as we go. And I'm very excited to this approach to teaching. Oh, yeah, that that sounds really good, because I do remember in the first half of the day, I was able to kind of keep up like you would tell us what you were doing and and you had all the great sample scripts that we could open on our on our Macs while we were watching. But I would start by by noon. I could not keep up anymore because once I started wrecking something, you were already on to the next thing. And I I figure things out by breaking them. So that was really good in the morning, but it got too fast in the afternoon. So having this be over three days, I think is fantastic. That'll give a lot more depth, right? That's right. And one of the things we're doing with especially the third day, but scattered throughout, is we're looking at a lot of applications. Oh, okay. Sal will cover iWork pages, keynote numbers. I'm going to cover briefly BB Edit, Microsoft Word, Text Edit Notes, uh, working with data files, Microsoft Excel. I saw Excel in the list. Yay. I'm an Excel Excel nerd. Excel is in the list as well. And uh, many other applications up to probably the most scriptable uh, publishing application, Adobe InDesign. We'll be looking at that. And while Sal covers Keynote, I'm actually going to show PowerPoint. Hmm. And, you know, PowerPoint is still in use by quite a few users. I I still love you, Ray. In spite of that. Thank you. I'm not a big PowerPoint fan, but it's important for you to see how the implementations are similar and how they differ to help you overcome problems. So let's say if you're a user of only two or three of those apps, it still exposes you to how the object model works and how an Apple script dictionary works and helps guide you to the appropriate way that you can automate that application. Seeing those differences, if you then use an application that isn't something you demonstrate, it's like, oh, I need to look here. I need to see. I remember these things were different. Therefore, it must be different over here. 
Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, you know, an example with, I'll give a, a quick example with PowerPoint. Let's say you want to make a new slide. You type make new slide. Comes very close to working, <laughs> very close. But you have to tell it where. Oh. And even if you're talking to the, the slide document itself, you have to say at beginning or at end or at after slide one. Oh, okay. That's true of InDesign with objects on pages. That's true mm -hmm. of other applications. So once you see that repeated two or three times at least throughout a course, then when you encounter an application, you want to make a new object. If you type, you know, make new podcast, I'm just making an example here, mm -hmm. um, you might realize, hey, there might be a required at parameter to tell it where that podcast should be in the front or back or wherever. But you'll know that because you found out about it when you were looking at how PowerPoint worked instead of that Keynote just figured it out. Right, oh, right. Okay. So I really hope that by showing so many applications, first of all, we'll, we'll give sample scripts to people who really need them for those applications, but it'll show you different implementations to help you overcome common challenges. Okay. And another advantage of having a multiple day conference is that by being there for more than a day of, of intensive, you get to drop all the stuff you carried with you, you know, all, <laughs> the, all the noise that's around your life and your brain. You can kind of let it go to the side and open yourself up for learning. And that's what happens over multiple days is you get into a, a, a nice Zen state of where you're open to the concepts and the ideas and you're more relaxed. You're not rushing to learn something or rushing to, you know, did I did I get that example? Oh, OK, I'm on to the next one. Having a multiple day conference in a wonderful location really makes a difference in how you learn and how deeply you learn. And Ray is absolutely one of the finest instructors I've ever, ever seen or, or worked with. And just his approach, you can tell by his personality that it's all about taking you through this experience. It's not going to be a rush thing. You're going to learn this. You're going to internalize this. You're going to benefit from it. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And that's, that's really important. Uh, you know, my experience when I worked at Apple, occasionally I would get a chance to do a lecture or I would have, you know, I'd go to Macworld and I do a really intensive seven hour session or something. But the disadvantage to that was, as Ray said, there's so much material coming at you. Sometimes there's too much. It was more like show you where to go to learn something later. Whereas this is really about, you know, being part of the group, being part of the experience and relaxing and absorbing. And that makes a difference. Yeah, it really does. Is there going to be a, opportunities for the classmates to interact with each other? Where Because I find that's where I often learn a lot of stuff or I'll meet somebody who's who's maybe just a little bit smarter than me than not way too much more knowledgeable and I can more approachable. I can ask them questions. Are there opportunities like that? Yes, there will certainly be opportunities because we're providing all the meals. So we will oh, be eating together. Um, and we also, at the end of the third day, in addition to interacting with each other at, at breaks and meals and so forth, but at the end of the third day, we're dedicating almost two hours to a script free-for-all. 
And that's where people can ask questions or they can, well, we can move around the room and they could say, this is what I really need to automate. And we can say, hmm, this is the direction you need to go. And this is my, how you can get, this is how you can get started. Okay. So there will be this interaction time at the end of the course for questions and potentially some one-on-one work to help people along. And uh, if people are so educated at the end that they don't have any questions, we will show some <laughs> model workflows. I thought you were going to say you're going to pull out the bourbon if everybody got it, everybody knows everything. That has happened at previous events. I will tell you that. <laughs> Was, uh, Sal, are you, you going to be able to work in any of your JavaScript stuff? Uh, um, one of the evenings. So this is not only during the day. In the evening, we have you know a couple hours. We're going to be going over different topics uh, related to automation. And one of the evenings, I'll be covering uh, an overview of the new Omni automation stuff that I've been working on, and that's JavaScript based. And it. And I think it has an advantage for people to see, okay, it helps show why AppleScript is so unique because with JavaScript, you have to think a different way. It's, but once you understand the concepts that you learn with AppleScript, they apply to JavaScript as well. You have repeats, you have objects with properties that you change. It's just that it's written with a different type of syntax. And I think that... You know, getting a quick overview and seeing what the other stuff is like is sometimes helpful to get a better perspective. Plus, we're going to be having, uh, you know, more in-depth on different topics. Like I'm going to be covering I work considerably with that, too, as well, because it, it comes on every computer, every Mac. And I want to make sure that people, you know, are, can take advantage of the tools that they ship with the device as right. well. Right. Well, this sounds really fantastic. Uh, I do want to tell the audience uh, the location to go to to find the conference is cmddconf.com. And I'll have a link in the show notes, of course. And if you use coupon code PODFEET, you get $200 off the current registration. What was that, Allison? (laughs) It's coupon code PODFEET for $200 off the current registration. (laughs) (laughs) So that's like getting the early bird special now. Exactly, wow. exactly. I, I, one other thing I remember uh, reading is that you're keeping the class size small, too, so that you can have this hands-on experience with you, with both of you guys, right? This isn't 400 Absolutely. people in a room. That's no, right. No. That's right. We want to have a lot of individual uh, interaction, so we are keeping the class size small. Yes. Oh, Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I, uh, I wanted to tell Sal one more thing. Um, when Naomi first told me about coming to Command D last year, she, she told me what a wonderful, kind person Ray was. And I, and I have to say, your, your, your fame drew me to want to go, but I left really good friends with Ray. And that was probably one of the best things I got out of it. So um, I, I can tell you feel the same about Ray at the risk of embarrassing him terribly here. I love Ray to death. Uh, Ray and Shane are my heroes they're just amazing people who share from the heart it's it's great when you see and you meet someone who loves watching the light bulb go off you know when you're instructing people and there's that moment when all of a sudden they realize that they have the power 
Yeah, and that's yeah. a wonderful thing. And Ray's all about that. I've known him for years and years, and he's a great guy and a wonderful instructor. And I'd like to also mention Ray quickly mentioned it, but you know, all the meals are, are included in this. So you don't have to go out looking for a place to eat or stop what you're doing or think it's just all there. We're going to be together. We're going to go through the experience together. You don't have to worry about breakfast or lunch or dinner. It's all going to be taken care of. Very cool. Very cool. And I'll just mention that uh, Shane Stanley is my longtime teaching partner from Melbourne, Australia. I taught with him for years and he was the really, really smart one. And I was just kind of the straight man <laughs> and the one who would teach things to beginners. Uh, this is really Sal and I, our first time working together. I expect very much the same relationship, and I really look forward to it. All Shane right. makes us all humble. He's quite amazing man. He's the guy I go to for the answers all the time. I, I love to hear you say that, Sal, because I always tell people, a, a lot of people, uh, my friends and family say, oh, Allison, you're so amazing at the Mac or the iPhone or whatever. I'm never going to be as good as you. And I said, the thing to always remember is no matter how dumb you are, there's somebody who knows less than you do about that thing or how dumb you feel. <laughs> but no matter how good at something you are, there's always somebody who knows more than you. And that's actually the beauty of it is we're all pulling each other up, right? You're reaching a hand down and you're reaching a hand up, pulling somebody up and pulling yourself up. So it's, it's amazing to know there's somebody you look to, Sal. That, that proves my point. Oh, absolutely. Uh, everything I've been able to accomplish in my life is because of others and their generosity and them blazing the path and helping me. And, you know, I have a responsibility to return that kindness and share what I know with other people as well. Well, we couldn't end on a better note than that, I think. Thank you, gentlemen, both for being here. This was a real treat for me and I'm sure for the audience. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Ray. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal, or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at Podfeet or email me at allison at podfeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to podfeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.